This is Sarah Bordeaf, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode, we're bringing you a huddle from our sister publication, Adventure Park Insider. Summer is here, and many aerial adventure operations are reopening as restrictions ease. One thing is certain, it's not business as usual. What do open operations look like, and what are they learning as they navigate the new normal? Our panelists today are Candy Fisher, VP of Marketing and Sales for Outdoor Ventures, Annika Trubenbach, Park Manager for the Adventure Park at Stores Connecticut and Outdoor Ventures Park, Phil Houston, owner of North Shore Adventure Park in Minnesota, Brian Johnson, Director of Operations, and Jesse Griffin, Guide, both of Navitat Canopy Tour in North Carolina. We'll start the discussion here with Sam and API publisher Olivia Rowan. Thank you all for joining us today uh, for our Adventure Park Insider Huddle. I'm Olivia Rowan, the publisher of Adventure Park Insider Magazine, and Sarah um, and I will be, Sarah, our associate editor, will be your host for the next hour, along with our virtual panelists. So um, we have much to talk about, so we're going to get started first with um, ACCT Policy Director Scott Andrews. So we're, um, we've been continuing to convene our think tanks around specific topics in the industry. Uh, yesterday, we had one on what has worked when you go to do vended training for a site and what what were the things that worked and shared those out. Those think tank recordings are available on our website and on the ACT Regulation Map blog, which is um, A-C-C-T-R-E-G-M-A-P.org. And that blog has is the site for all of our resources and announcements about what we find out going on in the industry. In the next uh, 24 to 48 hours, we're going to be publishing a whole bunch of updates on regulation at state levels, CDC's new announcements about uh, resident camp openings and how those will affect challenge courses and zip lines, uh, and potentially some other stuff around um, Colorado. There's rumor there's going to be a new Colorado announcement tomorrow, so we're hoping to bring that to folks tomorrow. So there we go. Great. Thanks, Scott. You're welcome. Thanks, Sarah. So we'll start today's conversation with Candy Fisher, who is the VP of Sales and Marketing for Outdoor Ventures. Candy, you operate five locations across four states, four um, of which, as we understand, have been um, able to reopen, which is very mm-hmm. exciting. Congratulations. Uh, we've talked pretty extensively on these huddles about how important it is to communicate uh, new protocols with guests prior to arrival. Can you share what you guys are doing um, on that aspect um, with your parks and, and how it's been received? Yeah, for sure. Um, and we have our fifth park is actually opening tomorrow um, in Long Island. So we'll be fully operational, which we're super excited about. Um, but yeah, it's been, I think, what, four weeks or so since our first parks opened. Um, and we did a lot of planning prior to opening the parks, obviously, trying to figure out um, what we needed to communicate and then how to communicate it. And we've taken, obviously, um, a lot of feedback from these huddles. So these have been great. Um, but, you know, I think a couple important things. One was involving the whole team um, in figuring out, obviously, the protocols and procedures, but also how we communicate those to our guests. Um, and operating in, you know, four different states, five different locations, uh, the restrictions and the the requirements are different. So for us, you know, part of it was kind of figuring out how much to communicate um, because we do have, you know, five different parks that come into one website. And so um, what we've done is we've created a health and safety information page, uh, which outlines kind of the general guidelines um, at each of our parks. And we have that in writing, but also a video, which has been really popular with people to kind of help them understand what their experience might look like. Um, And being very upfront with them that the experience could be and will be different than what they have had in the past. Um, And then, you know, obviously working with our park managers, um, and Annika can speak to this more in terms of how they've trained their staff, but making sure that we are very proactive in communicating with customers what that experience would look like, what we're expecting from them, what they can expect from our staff, um, and then consistently and repeatedly sharing that information. So whether it be an email newsletter, um, a confirmation email, our social media, um, the booking path, you know, we've learned as we've been going and as we get questions, different places that we really need to see this information. 
so that, again, customers know what to expect when they get to the park. Um, I think that one really important thing that we've been doing is engaging with people on social media because we are posting, obviously, that we're open um, and that we have these protocols. And um, we are including that information both in our organic posts but also our ads so people feel comfortable that we are, you know, addressing the COVID procedures um, when they come to the park. And so that brings up a lot of questions in the comments and our messenger, um, Facebook messenger, our chat. So really being proactive and engaging these comments. Um, you know, I'm checking them multiple times a day and clearing up any confusion, um, making sure that there's clarity around what, you know, mask wearing in particular um, has been a big question. So, you know, when people need to wear masks, when they don't have to wear masks, and making sure that misinformation doesn't kind of spiral as we go through this. And what about, um, did you do, what did you do for the staff? Um, did you provide special training, scripts? Did you kind of have any kind of um, sit down with the staff and say, here's how you handle these new types of situations, uh, customers perhaps having a little anxiety, nervousness. Did you do any of that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, at um, in a couple different levels. One is as we were going through this planning process and just kind of being shut down in general, we had bi-weekly um, kind of all hands on get deck task force calls um, to keep all of our park managers informed, our sales staff, our contact center manager. So everybody, again, was involved in the initial process and developing what the protocols would look like. From there, um, and Annika can speak to this more, you know, on the operational side, there was a training of the park managers and that information cascaded down. Um, on the sales and contact center side, we were a pretty slim crew, so we were all, you know, pretty um, knowledgeable about the procedures, uh, so we didn't have a specific training, but we had very regular um, uh, task force calls and chats just to kind of debrief on what the weekend looked like, what were the major concerns and comments from the customers so that we could continually refine um, and address those. And I think that's the other thing to keep in mind, this, you know, our procedures have changed how consumer, customers are perceiving them have changed. And so we've had to adapt our messaging accordingly. But Annika, if you want to talk about maybe how we've uh, trained at the staff level at the park. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for us, the approach we took with it was um, once the information had been passed down from uh, the company-wide standpoint, uh, I brought in all of our supervisors for an in-service training that covered, you know, how the policies had changed, uh, how we would be moving through those procedures as far as interacting with guests throughout the whole check-in and facilitating those first few climbs when people have a lot of those questions. Um, before that meeting, we had also sent out to all staff all of the protocols and uh, procedures that we were implementing and asked for their feedback and review in order to adjust them so that we knew our staff were comfortable with what we were proposing. And then, um, then we also gave them that information advance so that when we came in for that meeting, if they had any questions, they wanted to know more about something, they were able to do so. Um, from there, we then had my, uh, the management team as well as our supervisors who were able to walk through that same process with our ground level staff. And that seemed to work really well because um, rather than trying to like bring a in a bunch of people or trying to stagger them uh, so that we could maintain those social distancing and safety guidelines, um, we could be more collaborative and on a smaller scale, which was really effective, I think. And what is, just for everybody listening, so what capacity are you operating at? I know it, it might be different park to parks, um, but give us yeah. an idea. Yeah, um, so last, so right now we're only open on Saturdays and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And this past weekend we had um, 170 climbers, I want to say, over the course of those two days. In one park? In one part. Okay. And what would you normally have? Uh, this time of year, we'd easily see, you know, um, 250, 300, something like that. Okay. So that and sounds like it's about, you know, 50% capacity. 
Yep, and that was done intentionally in order for us to facilitate the process of social distancing, making sure that people have time to go through those courses, um, and to facilitate the idea that because we're adding these protocols, uh, getting people trained up on how we would like to proceed with things is taking a little bit more time than usual. So in addition to the reduced capacity, could you walk us through some of the other protocols that you've put into place um, at your parks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of the things uh, start from the moment guests are getting ready to check in. We're strongly encouraging people to take uh, advantage of online booking, booking in advance. And we also have QR codes posted throughout the parks so that not only people can um, buy their tickets without necessarily interacting with our staff, but they can also complete their waivers on their own personal devices using those QR codes. Um, leading into that check-in area where they then, you know, get their tickets, learn where they need to go to do their briefing. We've got stakes uh, that have red tape around them uh, that are placed throughout the park at six, seven feet apart so that if for some reason we start getting aligned. Throughout this conversation, operators shared signage that they are using to educate guests about new protocols. Follow along with these images available for download at www.adventureparkinsider.com slash huddle. Yeah, so from what I can tell, the one we're looking at here is our briefing area. This area used to have uh, benches and um, they were kind of worn down and uh, we were looking into replacing them anyway. And conveniently we had uh, taken down a tree that we then just cut into these nice little stumps. And so we're asking people one person per stump and those stumps are placed seven feet apart, which uh, Connecticut guidelines are saying six feet apart is appropriate social distancing. But we wanted to account for that wiggle room while people are uh, receiving that information. Yeah, there, that is the stakes I was just talking about. So we planted them in the ground, making sure that they follow the social distancing guidelines. And those are placed in key areas where we foresaw um, backups potentially occurring. So mainly leading into our indoor uh, check-in retail shop, as well as onto our main platform where all of our courses start. Um, and that has been really successful. Um, and then this, this is the inside of our uh, retail shop uh, where people are checking in. We place these arrows on the ground, similar to what grocery stores are doing in order to help facilitate mm -hmm. the idea of please move in one direction. And we're also only allowing uh, one group to check in inside that building at a time. Um, again, so that we have time once they've moved out of that building, we can clean and sanitize everything before we let the next group in. And so tell us a little bit, you know, you've been open, you said four weeks, so um, it can't all have gone smoothly. And so help operators um, with some of the lessons you may have learned from week one to week four, any things that you had to quickly change and some of the customer sentiment that was a struggle perhaps to um, or surprised you to deal with. Sure. Um, so I'll say personally for my park, uh, my park has only been open for two weekends now. Um, with that, with my other partner parks being open sooner, I personally got the benefit of having their experience and knowledge from their first few weekends and was able to set up my personal park for success in that way. But um, as far as, you know, what did we, how do we think something was go and how did it actually go? Um, one of my favorite examples is regarding face shields. Um, we ask staff to use face shields anytime they're in really close contact with guests. So when they're doing their double checks on the harnessing and facilitating that process, as well as when they're doing um, their assists, in addition to the mask gloves that we're already asking them to wear. Um, we initially placed those face shields uh, in key areas throughout the park with the idea of, well, if the face shields are where we need them, then staff will always be able to have them. The issue we ran into um, was the sanitation side of that, where after someone is done using it, it wasn't really effective for us to sanitize it uh, in, a, in a timely manner so that it was ready for the next use. What we moved to in response to that issue was uh, each staff uh, has been given a face shield to use for the duration of their shift. And once their shift is over, it gets sanitized so that it can get handed off to someone else. And that worked really well because then they can add it to their gear loops on their harnesses and always have it at hand whenever they need it. And, and customers are required to wear masks on site? Yes, so for customers, the way we are dealing with that is that anytime they're on the ground, 
on our main platform or are near someone they don't know where they, we need them to be wearing masks. Um, once they are off of the main platform and out on one of our courses, because our courses are naturally uh, six or more feet apart, that is when they can take it off, especially since the season's only getting hotter and those masks are really uncomfortable on the face. Um, that has received really good feedback. We don't really have a lot of people that seem to have questions about why we're doing that. Um, and um, in addition to that process, we are now selling masks and gloves in our shop um, because we used to offer communal gloves where uh, with your ticket, in addition to your harness and the other gear you need, you'd be given these gloves. And when you were done, you'd give them back. Uh, we moved away from those communal gloves in the interest of health and safety and instead are saying you can either bring in your own gloves, you can purchase them here at the park, or um, the way we have our courses designed, you don't actually need to wear the gloves. So uh, people can opt to go without the gloves, but from our personal customer base so far, everyone wants to wear the gloves. And um, mask selling, do you find um, that that was, that, that those sell fast or are people really coming prepared with their own? Yeah, um, we have two different kinds of masks. One is a single use, so you know, the classic blue disposable mask and the other one is a branded mask uh, that features our park logo. And um, from what I can tell, the people that end up buying the disposable ones are, are people who were like, oh shoot, I knew that I was supposed to bring one, but I just forgot to bring it with me. I'm gonna buy this really cheap mask since I already know I have one at home. Whereas the, the branded one is made with a synthetic material that um, uh, is nice for climbing purposes. And so um, those seem to sell either when people are really uncomfortable with whatever mask they came with or uh, they like the brand, they enjoyed their experience and they want to have a souvenir in that sense. Okay. Um, because I, in my area, I'm just starting to see people are wearing their masks like clothes and they want to make sure it matches. So having a, a simple mask seems to be uh, something that's interesting to people. Excellent. And you had mentioned uh, sanitizing the face shields. Can you kind of walk us through how you're approaching sanitizing gear? Yeah. Um, so we purchased a steamer that, uh, kicks out. I don't remember the exact temperature, but it is really, really hot. Um, and uh, that particular model was chosen because it proved to be effective against other SARS type viruses. Um, we know that it's not necessarily a um, fail safe. So in addition to that, since we're only open on weekends right now, uh, the gear that is used uh, for one person is set aside, it's left to sit out for uh, 72 hours and then um, it can go back into circulation. And because we're seeing lower numbers than we typically would, we are able to facilitate that process. Uh, something that we're in the middle of discussing right now is once we add additional days, how can we really work together to make sure that we are um, keeping that gear safe and available to people. Thank you so much, Annika. Um, yeah, absolutely, thank you. So um, we're going to switch gears and um, chat with Phil Houston. And Phil, you're the one of the owners of North Shore Adventure Park um, in Silver Bay, Minnesota. And can you run us through some of the adaptations that you've made in order to reopen? Uh, sure. Yeah, um, we are open even today. And uh, we even raised our ticket prices. <laughs> so <laughs> people are buying them. So after, uh, you know, pandemic, riots, protesting. It seems like people want to get out of town. So uh, the North Shore is, is doing really well. It's becoming vibrant. Uh, already this weekend and last weekend, we had 70 people on the first day. We were pretty excited. You know, we didn't think we would have anybody. So we, uh, you know, we, we didn't get blasted like the East Coast did with COVID. And uh, it, it hit us, a, you know, a little easier. And then on the North Shore, you know, in Lake County, we've only had one positive confirmed case and, and that person got quarantined pretty quickly. So some people in the area uh, really don't even believe there is a pandemic. They think it might be a conspiracy or something. So, but, you know, then again, in our community, we have a lot of elderly people that, that you know, are very concerned. So it's kind of a mix. The customer perception and we weren't really sure what to expect as people from the Twin Cities came up to visit so they are coming 
and uh, we got prepared and our basic protocol was let's try to show be the best example on the North Shore of social distancing and, and, and COVID protocols. So uh, we put a lot of things in place and I think we're we have the best protocol of anybody on the North Shore right now. And they were waiting for the guests to come and then they come and it's like, okay, everybody, here they come, put your mask on. <laughs> and like the customers, you know, didn't even care. And they fact they kind of thought he was weird, you know, and and uh, so the first day everybody wore their mask. The second day they kind of wore them sometimes when they got within six feet and uh, maybe they put on shields once or twice. They aren't responding to it. They're not required to wear masks at all and we haven't had anybody come with, with masks. So it's the protocol is there, but the implementation of the protocol has been uh, relaxed a little bit as we kind of pick up this vibe of you know from uh, our customers but we do you know the the product what we did to the park we wanted to increase social distancing so we created one-way paths we created uh, uh, kind of private picnic areas uh, we uh, we put a lot of sanitation stations around the park so people can wash their hands a lot and uh, we kind of roped off a lot of sections to kind of direct traffic to avoid groups of, of over 10. And uh, my main concern was, uh, was the staff, keeping the staff safe because they're all young and strong and, you know, they feel invincible, you know, but we have these incoming tourists that we have to be uh, always watch out for because who knows what they have so you know the staff they take their temperature before they uh, check in you know they you know circle a list of possible symptoms they may they may have if they're sick they stay at home we encourage them to wash their hands all the time um, you know we tried harnessing with uh, just verbal commands and it, it it really didn't work out too good um, People were doing a better job than I think maybe last year, but when they started to line up to the main platform, uh, you know, there were so many harnesses that needed to be adjusted that the staff, you know, just without shields or anything, they just, we got to get these people suited up correctly. So they just kind of got down and, and did what they needed to do to make everybody safe without face shields and stuff. So, you know, I didn't want to uh, go over the top on this because the, the, the public perception was almost a little pushback. Like why do these people look weird? They got masks on. So, so we're really focusing on social distancing, still have the mask at least wrapped around the neck. <laughs> if they get real close, put the mask on. Um, and I, I, I think that's uh you know, we, we did some other things. We limit, limited capacity on the course to 35 climbers at a time. And uh, instead of three on a platform, one on a platform, unless they're part of a group, we, uh, we limited uh, climbers to 15 per half hour. So we don't get any jams in the harnessing and in the, the, the practice and briefing areas. And, uh, so far, it's going pretty good. So we're, we're How long have you been clear. open, though? Well, we were open last weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we're open this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we're getting booked up. So I'm really, uh, you know, we have sanit uh, spray bottles everywhere, soap dispensers everywhere. I mean, it's all set up for social distancing, but, uh, you know, we're trying to keep groups separated from guests. But it's really difficult, you know, but now with our private picnic areas, we just send them to certain areas. We'll go, you guys go over there and wait until you're ready and you go over there. So we're, we're dispersing the crowd and then we're, um, we're building a cabin right now, which will have a, uh, which will replace our office and it'll have a dual ticket window on each side of the building so we can keep people separated if they want to come in and buy retail it's it's a little more restrictive so we're just trying to do we're not going over the top but we're trying to go with the flow of the 
of the consumer perception and also what the community uh, needs, I think, to feel safe and comfortable. And, and Phil, you had shared some um, photos with us, so I'm going to share those if you can walk us through these. You can view these images at www.adventureparkinsider.com slash huddle. Yeah, so this was the one of the main trails to the uh, ticket office, and we widened the trail. It was half that size, so we uh, did some work on that. So we widened that one. That's a two-way trail, but plenty of room to social distance on that one. And there's one of our uh, picnic areas. Um, we have 11 of them. Actually, they're so popular that we're going to start charging 25 bucks an hour for them because the demand, everybody wants to reserve a picnic area. So it, it's really been interesting uh, how, how they've reacted to these. So that's just one example. And we have like 10 others and we're going to develop probably 15 or so by the end of the season. And uh, see, they're wearing a mask. And uh, we have disposable masks, we have regular masks, the staff, they bring their own masks. But um, it's hard to social distance, you know, when you're in the practice line there, sometimes it's hard to talk through the mask, it's hard to understand sometimes. So they, they really can't be six feet away and I think accomplish their job and make at least me feel like everybody's being safe and instructed properly. So. And uh, yeah, and in that kind of instructional uh, situation, sometimes you have to get a little closer. A couple other photos there. That's just some other picnic areas. And it's a great place to sit and just uh, watch the climbers. And then this is a new uh, one-way trail that we developed. It's nice and wide. And uh, just some other picnic areas uh, down by the creek. and. And that's pretty much it. So some infrastructure um, changes uh, really uh, helped with the social distancing. And uh, so it's kind of a natural, it's happening naturally, kind of organically, the, the way we have signage and stuff. It's just kind of, but you know, we know there's a pandemic and, and we, and I'm really concerned about the staff uh, because they're coming in contact with a lot of new people now. So, um, We'll see how it goes today and tomorrow, but. And Philip, is the demographic, do you think that, um, that when you say that you're going off the vibe of the customers, do you find more the tourists are bringing the lax attitude or the locals? Well, um, it's really a combination of both. I thought in, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, I mean, they're, they're wearing masks, that, that's becoming a culture there. So I expected that, but they come up on the North Shore, you know, they take a two and a half hour drive up the North Shore. They, they don't use those masks. It's, it's very rare. Maybe some old folks you'll see going to a gas station wearing a mask, but regular tourists, they are not wearing masks and they really don't care if we are or if we're not. And uh, I, I, I don't know if it's because of their children or, or what, what it is, but I feel like they would be more comfortable if we did not wear masks, but, um, but we're not doing that. We are wearing masks. And have you, what do you do to, if you had to do much um, pre-arrival messaging to make sure that they understood some of the changes and, and what to expect when they arrive? Well, on our website, we list a whole protocol, you know, we'll say the staff will wear masks if they get close there, they will wear face shields, you know, we social distance, uh, we wash our hands a lot. So, I mean, we go over the basic uh, bullet points of, uh, of, of what our policy is. In fact, you know, we had to send in our COVID-19 plan to the state of Minnesota not everybody does that, but they do require businesses to do that. Um, uh, so we did that and we're just following that protocol, but it's not, it's not exactly the way it's written. I mean, it's becoming more lax as the uh, customers come up and, and, and react to it. Right. So we're, do you have a lot of competition in the area who are also open? Uh, not really. You know, the resorts are just starting to open. Uh, we really, you know, it's 185 miles highway. 
along Lake Superior from Duluth to Grand Marais. And uh, it's mostly cottages and resorts and things like that. We're the only adventure park or real, you know, there's a lot of state parks and, uh, you know, natural, you know, beautiful natural amenities, but, uh, but we're the only adventure park. So we really don't have any competition. There is an adventure park in Duluth at Spirit Mountain and they, they're city owned and they decided not to operate. Uh, this year so they are closed down um, all the festivals have been closed down uh, so there's really uh, nothing for people to do except come to our park <laughs> you know that's which is uh, we're finding out that is the case um, and Phil I had um, one other follow-up question for you on our in some of our previous conversations you had mentioned that there has been a bit of a silver lining for you because of the pandemic with hiring uh, can oh. you give us a little detail there? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, oh, you know, we were just panicking about, are we going to be able to put together a staff for this year? And I ended up getting more super qualified people than I could have imagined. And it's because everybody was out of work. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so we ended up putting a very good staff together. We had, we turned a lot of people away. We just... You know, we weren't sure what our capacity was going to be. So, uh, uh, but we, yeah, we have a great staff this year and people are still knocking on the door. They want to work at the adventure park. Wow. The jobs aren't there like they used to be. So it, that is the silver lining. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Phil, for sharing. Okay. Um, Brian Johnson, we're going to turn to you. You're the director of operations at Navitat Canopy Adventures in North Carolina. Um, and you've been open a few weeks, and during that time, you've uh, evolved your protocols, um, as I'm sure everybody's going to do as, as the landscape changes. But can you share with us uh, a little bit like where you started and, and, how, and what you had to evolve in those protocols and perhaps why? Yeah, so uh, this coming Saturday will be three weeks that we've been open. Uh, initially, the first five to seven days, that first week was really restricted just internally where we had um, a limited number of tours and guests that we would allow to go out per day. So the tours were limited. And then the big important one was that we were only allowing like a single family group or couple per tour. So like if a husband and wife called and booked a tour, they would get that tour to themselves essentially. Um, and that, that kind of beat us up a little bit. So that only lasted less than that first week essentially. Um, and then we started to open up uh, more tour time slowly and then opening it to like where we would combine like two groups like two different families of four could join on one tour and slowly integrating that um we also have two different zipline tours on our property so we've got like a traditional canopy tour and then like a big zip ride type ride so uh, most of what i'm talking about is about our mountaintop tour which is our big zips so the big takeaway there is our platforms are pretty enormous they're like you know almost 20 by 20 decks so people have plenty of room to spread out and kind of be comfortable um, on our canopy tour we're still restricted to pretty limited availability and only allowing like single family groups per tour just because they're those like traditional you know eight foot round platforms where social distancing from one family to the other is uh, literally impossible so um, our treetop tour is still very limited um, so that was a big restriction and then we started to ease that uh, mostly based off demand, you know, our first week or so phone calls were pretty minimal. Um, and then once people started to pick up on us being open and uh, travel starting to increase a little bit, we saw a huge increase in phone calls daily. Um, so just trying to like meet the demand, but also, uh, you know, practice good practices as well. Um, you know, some of our some of the protocols that we're still sticking with are the masks. Obviously, we're checking temperatures when they check in. Um, so all our language says kind of across the board that masks, we use the word required everywhere. Um, and then when they arrive and they actually get to the tour part um, during their orientation and their ground school, the guides can kind of set the bar for specifically what the mask wearing looks like. And for us, it's more about close contact and indoor spaces. So anytime you're indoors or in a vehicle, masks are required. And then those close contact times are like gear up clipping in, unclipping, etc. Um, but when they're like hiking through the forest or hanging out on these larger platforms or actively ziplining, we're not requiring masks for those portions. Um, we, uh, so when guests check in uh, and part of the reservation process as well, we're, we have a, like four uh, 
pretty broad, generic, like health-related questions um, that we pulled from kind of CDC language, like, do you have COVID? Does anyone you know have COVID? And just very broad things. Um, and then we ask them those same questions again when they arrive on site here. Uh, we'll do the touchless thermometer, check them in. They have to like show us that they have a mask. Um, and then if they don't, they have to purchase one. Um, additionally, the cleaning, uh, similar to what everyone else is doing. Uh, we're doing a lot of cleaning of equipment. Um, you know, we have enough equipment too where there's like a rotation system. So a harness that was used today probably won't be used again until like Sunday or something. So it's got that time um, to go. Um, other big things is like we have transportation to get to uh, the beginning, like to get them up the mountain initially. Um, which is our kind of most risky environment because we're in a 12 passenger van. So now we're using two vans per tour. So instead of putting 10 people in one van, we're taking two vans to separate families or separate guides from guests or doing our best to kind of shuffle that around a little bit. Um, and, and that's like big picture, some of the heavy hitting stuff for sure. What about um, with the staff and staff training and scripting and, and did yeah. you time on that. Uh, so we had like a 11 person crew uh, that worked with us through part of our closure. Um, so they were kind of in, uh, involved in the evolution of our protocol. And even prior to us opening, you know, they were shared that we had team meetings and would review that and get feedback. Um, and we had all that in place uh, prior to opening almost three weeks ago. And then immediately upon opening the adapting and adjusting and just feeling it out, you know, uh, all the changes. Um, you know, getting guide feedback. I've got a guide sitting next to me named Jesse who, who may be able to share some insight on some of that. We would love to know what, what customers are saying. Are you getting any anxious, nervous, um, people who don't want to wear masks, grumbling, um, anything like that? Uh, yeah, uh, some guests you can tell that they don't want to wear the mask, but for the most part, uh, we don't require them to wear it for very long periods of time. Um, so they're willing to uh, begrudgingly wear it when we ask them to. Uh, it's just kind of mostly about us as guides being on top of it, keeping them wearing it, uh, because most of them, or a lot of guests rather, uh, don't seem too concerned about actually wearing the mask. So it's really just kind of on us making them wear the mask when they need to. But they haven't complained too much about it. And from a guide's perspective, how how do you find it's going having to be out there all day with a mask on and, and doing hmm. the... Definitely getting used to it uh, by now, you know, it's, we're getting these hotter days. That's the biggest challenge is just being hot. Um, but at that, this point, we're pretty used to it. Uh, yeah. And, and our ground school is unique where, you know, the guide is 8, 10, 12 feet away from the people. So when they're doing the ground school, they, they aren't necessarily wearing a mask. And then we also kind of set the bar. We've adjusted the language to our orientation and to our ground school to cover all this protocol for the guests. So um, that's when the bar is like really set uh, in that space is like during the orientation when they're interacting with the guides and the guides kind of like lay it, lay it all out, kind of lay down the law a little bit. And, and most people are pretty receptive. And um, you asked the question earlier too, you know, 80, 90% of our people are bringing masks because we have sold very few. So people are coming and ready. And what capacity are you operating at right now? Uh, you know, I'd say like 50% right now or maybe is a little more. choice or, or is that because that's all that's showing up at this point? Uh, a little bit of both. Initially, the first little bit, it was by choice. And then, uh, you know, we've seen a huge increase in business even over the last several days. Uh, like tomorrow is pretty busy and Saturday's filling up pretty nicely. Um, you know, the travel, we're also keeping tabs on like Airbnb rentals and hotel business in our area. And increase in business as well and the hotels are filling at their 50% capacity. Another unique thing about the masks is uh, our county where we live is uh, they have like a mask mandate saying that people inside businesses have to wear masks. So we get the joy of uh, pushing that to the county. If people get frustrated we're just like well it's a county law so talk to those people. That's good. Um, are you doing any marketing? Uh, minimal. Minimal marketing. A lot of social media stuff right now emails and such and and any marketing that includes you can feel safe here these are things that we're doing are you focusing on that or just get out of town get some fresh air and have fun uh, there's a little bit of that but it's more focused on the adventure and the outdoor part of things 
Um, I mean, on our website, just like everybody does, we have a link to like our protocol and the process and everything that we have going on um, uh, for sure there. Brian, I have a question. What do you think your, your absolute maximum capacity would be given your current protocols and what is limiting that? Uh, well, our maximum like number of people per day. Yeah. Uh, we could still get up in the 200 plus range on a, on a wild day. Uh, but with the limitation being on our canopy tour due to the size of the platforms and only allowing like single family units, um, that's, that's limiting there. Cause, uh, we're also requiring a group of four or more to book that particular tour. Um, you know, cause we aren't really making money. We just send two people out there. Um, so, you know, we get a lot of two top tours, two people, um, coming out. Um, so we still have the ability, you know, our, our, the mountaintop tour that's pretty much wide open is our most popular activity. Um, so we can still accommodate a couple hundred people a day on that if, if the demand was there, but the demand isn't quite there yet. Gotcha. The one other thing I didn't mention is we're doing a lot of our stuff outside. So like the gear up and all this stuff, instead of happening in our little gear equipment rooms, it's happening outside. And then on busier days, we'll check people in out on the front porch instead of allowing them to come in the building and stuff like that. And then Jesse, um, for things like gear up and you know, safety discussions or you know, guiding is typically a pretty high touch position. How do you think that the, the guide guest relationship has kind of changed as a result of COVID? Uh, it's, it's definitely a, a little more odd having, you know, stepping away from just being the kind of goofball clown, having fun with them uh, and having to lay down the rules with the masks and everything. Um, but otherwise, I think uh, it's not too hard once we get up there and everyone's just kind of already adapted to wearing the mask, and then we can kind of do our own thing. Um, and again, on our mountaintop tour in particular, uh, half the time when we're talking to them, we don't. That's not much of an issue for us. Um, yeah. Annika, would you add anything to that about the if how the relationship may have changed a little bit? Um. I would say overall it hasn't changed too terribly much. Um, similar to what some of the other folks have said, um, as part of our briefing process, we have added a little spiel that outlines, you know, if you've been here before, here's how things have changed, or, um, you know, this is what you may have read online if it's your first time here, and we're going to elaborate on that. Um, and, you know, because of where I am in Connecticut, which is one of the hot spots in Northern America, um, most people are understanding of you know why we're asking to have these things in place and are accommodating the need for us to do that um as far as you know one of the most common times we found uh that we're reminding people on certain things especially uh putting the mask back on is after they finished a course or they finished eating or drinking something and they you know just forgot to put it back on and that just took a little bit of coaching on how to uh, teach staff um, how to say something without necessarily making it sound mean. Uh, an example I can give is that I saw a teenager that was wearing his mask on top of his head like so, and I just simply said, I don't know if you know this, but that's not where your mouth is, and he laughed and put it back on, and that was it. So um, I think we can relate these things in a way that doesn't necessarily make us, you know, the rule enforcer or the, you know, bad person. Um, we can do it in a way that still serves that customer service really well. And are you using, um, you know, extra signage to kind of reinforce um, a lot of these new protocols, especially on course and, you know, related to where masks need to be worn? Yeah, um, we do have signs uh, requesting, you know, as people are entering that a mask is required in order to be on our property. Um, we don't yet have signs up in the air, but that is something I would like to do because I think that would help just reiterate for people because if, especially if it's your first time at a park, you're already learning, how does a course work? How does all this gear work? What do I need to do? What, where, when? And then when you add these COVID procedures on, on top of that, that's a lot to learn in a short amount of time. So that's something that I would like to work towards, but we're not there yet. And Phil, I think you mentioned um, in, during one of our pre-call discussions that you were actively looking to add more signage um, for that exact reason. Yeah, exactly, because um, uh, it, it's, it's really the staff forgets to social distance, you know, between among themselves. 
And, and I don't think that looks real good when we have it on our website. We're social distancing them and the staff is kind of huddling together. But you know what happens after they, you know, they, a group comes through, you know, and they harness and they, they brief and they do all that. And the people start, and the climbers get up on the course. Then the staff, they, you know, they do their thing. But uh, yeah, they, they start huddling together a little bit. So I think signs will help them. Uh, remember that we always have to social distance, even if things are uh, going very well and there's not a lot of people around, just so it looks like we're doing what we say. But also for the staff, we, uh, you know, we, we gave them like special uh, portable lockers to store all their personal things in. We gave them uh, their own walkie-talkies, uh, uh, their own face shields. We just gave it to him and said, don't give it back to us. This is your stuff. So don't share it with anybody else. Uh, so, you know, we, we have that kind of protocol going on and it's just the, uh, I think the more signage will help with the tourists as well as the staff to just remind them to try to be six feet apart yeah. during this pandemic. You know, Sarah, let's, um, on, on Monday, as many of you know, we have a, another magazine we do for ski area operators. Um, with all the same kind of um, things to deal with to get open. And so we had uh, some New Zealand operators come on and share with us the signage that they use to get open for skiing, which is uh, winter season in the Southern Hemisphere right now. But what's interesting, we loved their signage because um, A, it's, it's branded, it's clear, it's, um, uh, and I'll take you through these, but... Um, but as well, it came from the government, so it applied to any business. And they said it's great because the customers are familiar with the signs. It's not, they have to kind of relearn anything. There's a familiarity to the signs, but they're also very clear. So it, so for what it's worth, I think just because we're on signage, I just texted Sarah and said, let's just show these signs. So Sarah, just take us through a few of these that they put together in New Zealand, where they're now down to level one and they have eradicated, they said for now, uh, coronavirus, um, and so they're pretty much back to as normal as you can get uh, for now. So Sarah, show us a couple of other ones there. These signs from New Zealand are available for download at www.adventureparkinsider.com/huddle. The nice thing about this is, you know, they're all very similar um, in graphic, and so that's one of the things that we really liked about it is just very, very easy to say that this is a COVID-related sign, you know, pay attention to whatever the, the protocol might be. These, all these signs were set up for when they were at a higher alert level than they are at now. I believe it was Sunday night that they reduced to level one, um, but... This the, is great for where we are right now. Yeah. <laughs> more where they were. Um, S similar to that, like here where we are uh, in our county, the county has provided similar signage, and which has been really nice because then it's like for people from out of town, it's like uniform for all the places they go. So whether they go to a restaurant or come ziplining here, they'll see like the same signage, which feels really good. Yeah, and, that, and that's what the, the New Zealand operator said. He said it was just nice that if someone, um, they didn't have a lot of problems with customers um, not agreeing to it because you know it, it wasn't them dictating it was from the the government that was sending this through and that's what they used and they saw it in all the shops and uh, so it wasn't a surprise to them so they said that was actually helpful that they didn't have to create the signage it was provided for them did have um, one final question for all of our panelists uh, since we are getting close to the end of our hour since all of you have been open um, do you have any any specific advice for the operators who are looking to open uh, in the next little while? And then specific to Jesse and Annika, um, since you guys are on the front lines and dealing with the customers on a day-to-day -day basis, do you have uh, any advice from the front lines uh, to share? So maybe Annika, we'll start with you. Uh, great question. Um, I would say the biggest thing that I am really grateful that I took the time to do to do was uh, ensuring that my staff understood our policies and procedures so that they could effectively communicate those reasons to our guests when they did have questions. And that led into, you know, having that training with those staff in advance so that we could clear up any questions they had in advance. That was a huge uh, point in us coming out and opening strong when we had our opening weekend. 
Um, the other thing too with that is after each weekend, I've sent an email to staff asking for feedback, like how did everything go? How did you feel about everything? Did you hear any feedback from a guest that maybe I personally didn't hear because I'm all over the place? Um, and that has been really helpful and you know, realizing, hey, I'm gonna need to figure out where, I, how I can safely put gloves in our harnessing area so that they don't have to run back and forth from where our gloves are stored and things like that. And for that, I'm talking about medical gloves. Um, so checking in regularly with your team to see what thoughts and ideas they have is really useful. Candy, why don't, since you're also with Outdoor Ventures, why don't we jump to you next? Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely continually getting feedback from your staff is really important. Also reading the guest reviews and the comments and asking guests for their feedback. I think um, that helps you kind of gauge how your communications are coming across and how the guest experience is um, just making sure that what you're communicating is consistent with what they're actually experiencing in the park. Um, and I would say you cannot um, share this information in enough places. Like just having it on a page on your website is definitely not enough. I mean, just continue looking for places that you can proliferate the information um, and make sure your guests get it uh, is really critical. Thanks, Candy. Um, Phil, uh, do you have any advice for operators who are opening up in the next next little while? Well, I, I would throw out there, um, if you can create private areas for customers to hang out, uh, that probably would be helpful. If you can uh, try to tap into the pulse of the local community and culture and kind of keep an eye on that to see how that changes over the next, you know, over the summer. And uh, I, I, for me, that one of the main things has been protecting the staff, trying to tell this strong young staff that they are vulnerable. They could pick up a virus if they're not careful. Um, so trying to get that message through the staff and um, I think that's about it. Then you should be ready to go. And I think people want to get out and rock and roll and climb and zip and just have a blast this summer. Hopefully we'll have all good weather. And uh, Brian and Jesse, do you want to share any last minute advice? Uh, well, one thing that was nice for us, just because we had a couple of weeks with staff out here before we actually opened is we had a ton of brainstorming sessions because like we kept discovering new things that we hadn't thought about. Uh, and then it was nice for our training to get to go through the tour a couple of times while keeping in mind how it's going to be different moving forward. And uh, we were able to think of even more things during the training that we have to address. Yeah. Mine would be kind of like Phil said is a, uh, getting a pulse on your community. You know, we've been talking to tons of business and other tour operators about what they're doing. And then the last one would just be the, the ability to like adapt and adjust literally every day. Like some of our protocol, like I got to work at nine and before I left at five, like the, the protocol may have changed a little bit. Um, that's it, yeah. It's safe to say that this year isn't business as usual, but it's also clear that operators are adapting to meet the challenges ahead. We hope that these huddles and the other resources developed by SAM and Adventure Park Insider magazines to assist during this crisis have helped you all stay connected, informed, and to navigate these challenging times. If they have, consider supporting us as a vital source of information. Learn more at www.saminfo.com and www.adventureparkinsider.com. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeaux, and thank you for listening to PodSAM.